want to get started here. Um, a little intro. Uh, when Sahil uh, Lavangia was a college student at uh, USC, Ben Silverman recruited him to help get Pinterest off the ground. Soon Sahil was packing his bags, moving up here, and uh, becoming one of the founding members of the popular uh, pin board. <clears throat> As one of the first designers, he was responsible for, he was one of the main architects for how the pin board looks nowadays. But just as Pinterest was skyrocketing into the stratosphere, Sahil left to start his own company, Gumroad, where you can share and sell anything to your followers from everything from books to music to even icons. And uh, that uh, product has been around, what, eight months now? Yeah, launched in February. Eight months, and it's raised $8 million. Want to get into all of that, but first, please give a warm soapbox welcome to Sahil. So thank you very much uh, for joining us and, and making the trek down here to Little Campbell, um, where it's like super hot today. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, great day for shorts. I should have worn yeah. that myself. But um, kind of wanted to kind of wanted to go back in time a little bit and 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 kind of get the secret origins, so to speak. You've been kind of building products since about what thirteen, fourteen, and yeah, uh, and you know you've kind of sold apps on the App Store on iTunes and made more than. 100,000, before you were even 15. And kind of has that tinkering kind of building spirit always been with you? And tell us a little bit about some of those early efforts and what you kind of learned about building product. Totally, yeah. So I started I started designing actually when I was like 13, 14. Mm -hmm. um, all the school computers came with licenses, site-wide licenses of Photoshop. So I had a few, you know, thousand, thousands of dollars worth of software on my computer. I might as well have messed around with it, right? So I did. Um, I just opened up Photoshop, started Googling around how to learn, I think, how to utilize this piece of software, and just got addicted to, like, making, you know, random fonts and layer styles and stuff like that. Nothing really that interesting. Um, and, you know, uh, the web was starting to take off, so a lot of people asked if there was anyone around that knew how to make websites, and not knowing how to code, not knowing really anything besides making, like, little pretty pictures in Photoshop, I said yes. Um, I could do that. Um, so I started doing that. I started doing contracting work for a bunch of people, um, learned because I kind of had to, how to do everything else. Um, and that's kind of a, how I first got started. That quickly transitioned to actually building my own products mm -hmm. because I got bored of just building pictures. So I learned to code, and I got bored of just learning how to code to build other people's shit. I wanted to build my own. Um, so I just started building my own products. Um, but I think at the root of it all, it's like the reason I got even into computers at all, like I never really cared actually for computers for a long time, um, was because there was this one day where my mom, um, there was a problem with our internet connection um, back at home, and she was she asked my brother like for help, and I got really pissed off. <laughs> I got really annoyed that she thought that he was better, he was actually way better than me at computers or anything tech savvy, but I... It didn't matter. I was I was mad. So that's actually why I got into it in the first place. Um, which is funny because a little get, sibling oh, rivalry totally. to start. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even yeah. in at, at school when I started learning how to design, I remember like when I really got into it was because my friend started designing these right. like pixel pixel art stuff for some video game, and I was like, I could totally do that. Um, so I did. Oh. Yeah. Sweet. And and what were some of your own first early kind of products that you kind of developed yourself and kind of what was it that about them that you were either trying to problem solve or yeah. trying to just kind of do because you thought, hey, that's an nifty idea? Totally. I mean, 
a lot of them were just me like stumbling upon something that I felt was broken um, that shouldn't have been. Um, so the first product I think I ever kind of had an idea for and built was like was this thing called Tweeter, T W E A D E R, Twitter plus Reader. Um, and what I wanted to build was, or what I wanted, I didn't care who would build it, I just wanted it, mm-hmm. um, was wall-to-walls for Twitter. So Facebook had these wall-to-walls, so you could kind of see this, these conversations between two friends, and you couldn't do that with Twitter. Um, you can see kind of, you know, stream of th- thoughts between two people, and I thought that was really weird. Um, so, I, so I built it. I, you know, designed a wall-to-wall-like <coughs> interface, but for Twitter, um, and then spent a weekend building that. Um, and then at the end of it, I, you know, I basically I had this amazing launch strategy actually, which is to just spend eight hours every Sunday. I would try to do a product every every week, um, and I would spend eight hours every Sunday and just email every single person on the planet that could write about it. So TechCrunch, Mashable, all these things, mm-hmm. and it led to press like every single time. I would get. I think that one got on Mashable, it got on Read Write Web, or whatever popular blogs were there mm-hmm. at the time, um, and that's. That's, that was my first product ever. I built like a sort of the iPhone stuff came out, so I started building. Mm-hmm. Like, I built this thing that let you track like all these arbitrary data points in your mm-hmm. life, so how many push-ups you could do per day, or how many glasses of water you would drink. Right. And I felt it was weird that for every single thing I wanted to track, every single stat, I needed a different app. There was like a weight tracking app or like a water drinking app, and I was like, there should just be one generic one, <laughs> um, and you just specify the unit depending on whatever you wanted to track: glasses of water, pounds, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so I built that data. It was in MacWorld. Built a color stream because I. I was always bored on like the bus to and from school, and I wanted to like fuck around with color palettes mm-hmm. on my phone. Um, so I built a little color palette manager called ColorStream that was on Apple's homepage. That was really cool. Um, but yeah, it was just like all these things that like before I would be like, I wish this existed, mm-hmm. and that was like the end of my stream of thoughts. <laughs> and and now it's like I wish this existed. Wait a second, I can actually build stuff. I could just right. build this myself, and hopefully for other people too if they if they need it. Right, right. And and do you find that uh, that still carries through to this day that you just look and you see, gosh, you know, uh, that thing doesn't do what I want it to do. Yeah. Let me make that do what I want it to do. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I think it's not even worth pursuing anything else because, mm-hmm. one, it's really hard to figure out what people need. Like, people say they need one thing when they actually need another, or they mm-hmm. say they need something when they don't at all. Um, and it's, personally, it's very, it's very difficult to gain any sort of traction ever. So you might as well build something where you're you're going to start with one user. You're going to start with yourself, and then you have a pretty good you know person to ask whenever you want about hey is this product good is it working for you, um, and then you can worry about getting it you know the second user. Whereas if you start with zero, you have nobody. You, right. you kind of you know your feedback loop is like sending an email to someone or telling someone to go use this thing, mm-hmm. and then waiting for the response. Whereas if you're building something for yourself, your feedback loop is basically instantaneous. Right. So yeah. I think that's really important. Every single product I've ever built, I. It, I Built it, in, you know, just to, to solve my own problem. Right. It's almost uh, it's almost that thing that like, yeah, you any art you have to do it for yourself first before you totally. you put it out there for other people. Yeah. Actually, I want to I want to kind of flash forward a little bit um, to when you were at USC, the Trojans, um, and you get recruited uh, by uh, Ben Silberman uh, to uh, go and help him with Pinterest. Yeah. How did he find you, and and kind of what was the moment that you made the decision that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave USC, and I'm going to move up to the Bay Area, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start working on this product and just kind of drop out of college. And did, Was there any kind of fear or kind of anxiety in, in terms of making that decision? Yeah, there definitely was. Um, so, so he found out about me because of a site called Hacker News. Um, mm-hmm. Data, I think, actually was like 
it was I released a new version of Data or something like that, mm -hmm. and he sent me an email um, saying, "Hey, like Data is really well designed. You know, I work on this thing called Pinterest. Um, we need a mobile app, and you look like you might be able to do it. And you know, at the time they were incredibly small, um, just three guys, and they didn't really have the capacity to like have, you know mobile designer, developer, whatever you mm -hmm. want. Um, they just wanted you know one dude in college to go do that." And I was that dude. Um, so that's how it started. Is I actually started working from USC. I, I mm -hmm. flew up there to meet up with them and stuff. But I was working remotely for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. And then I started getting hit up with all these. You know, I continued to build other stuff as well. And that it wasn't just Ben. We moved me a bunch of people. Right. Did. So I, you know, I started talking to all these people. I was up in San Francisco once every two weeks or so during the, this my first semester of college. And I kind of figured out that I could just do this full time. Like I. Went into college, literally had no idea I was ever going to leave. I was 100% set on getting mm -hmm. my degree and then doing whatever. Um, coming from Asia, where that's kind of the mindset, um, <laughs> and and like getting all these offers, I was like, oh shit, I could actually just do this now. Like, why would I wait four years to go do this? Mm -hmm. If I could, if, if my goal was to get a degree and then go do this, mm -hmm. I could skip three and a half years. That sounds pretty good. Um, can stop paying USC fifty thousand dollars a year or whatever it is. <laughs> um, so, so that's kind of that's how that started. And so I told Ben, hey, I have all these offers. Like I would love one from you guys because I think you guys are super early and super like onto what I want to build too. Um, that's how I that's how that happened. Was was there any? Because I have an, I have a Filipino mother. Was there any? Uh, Resistance in terms of when you told her about, hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the college part and I'm just gonna go start working. Um, a little bit, um, definitely for my dad. Uh, my mom was actually pretty cool about it. Um, my grandmother was also totally cool with it. She's like, "Oh yeah, so you're leaving college?" I'm like, "Yes." And she's like, "That sounds awesome." And I'm like, "All right." Um, but it was. I think I wasn't being stupid about it. Like, it's very easy to be like, "Like fuck college." Like, I'm gonna go do a startup or whatever. But I wasn't. I was like, had a very specific agenda. I wanted to figure out if this career path was for me. I was gonna get paid a salary. I was gonna, you know, be able to because of the salary, pay rent. Like mm -hmm. I would, like there was enough of that, and and I wasn't leaving USC. I wasn't right. like, just, you know, piecing out. I was actually going to go, and like if it didn't work out, I would have gone back, right? right? And like that's the safety net. The safety net is like USC. Right. So even if all hell breaks loose now, even today, I could totally go back, and I would have right. lost a year and a half, two years. Right. Which is not that bad for like you know being able to figure out if this is what, really what I want to do. So that cost benefit analysis, I think, made a lot of sense. Right. And in terms of that, it's almost uh, it's almost even more beneficial because you're not doing like two or three years of a different major and then saying, "Oh, I want to switch at this." Yeah, point. I mean, it's it's very, it's very, you know it's very similar to that. Um, and most people have no idea what they want to do. A friend called me yesterday saying she was switching her major for like the eleventh time, <laughs> and I'm like, like it doesn't matter. Like whatever major you end up getting, you're not going to use it. Like you're gonna, you're going to figure out what you want to do and you're going to go do that. Right. Um, Major is great. Having a degree, having that piece mm -hmm. of paper, I think is still awesome. Like I would love mm -hmm. to have it if it was easy to get. Mm -hmm. I'm just, it's just not for at least for me, not worth four years of my life. Right, right. And 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 I kind of want to talk a little bit uh, in terms of uh, what you did at Pinterest because you wore like tons of hats. You did front end code, you did back end, you did the mobile app, and I, I and you know and a lot of us you know we use Pinterest and we were very fascinated by its user interface, which is unique. Now it's being mimicked by like Facebook and even the new MySpace to a degree. Um, how did that kind of uh, 
interface evolve, even on the on the mobile app, where it's really unique? And, yeah. and what were some of the challenges there that you guys faced in trying to get it to, to all work? Yeah. So the, fu the funny thing about MySpace is actually the first time TechCrunch ever wrote about Pinterest was two years ago mm -hmm. when MySpace, the old MySpace, actually copied Pinterest layout as well. Um, so it's not a new story. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, but And then they never wrote about us again because they stopped caring. Um, but yeah, no. So, so yeah. I mean, thank you uh, about the about the layout and stuff like that. I think, especially on mobile, it is unique. It's now it's in a few other places, but we were mm -hmm. pretty excited to like be the first people that offset grid on mm -hmm. on mobile. Um, that was fun and, and challenging to do on such a small screen. Um, I mean, it came about mainly because of, and it's not entirely. I'm not going to take 100 percent credit for this mm -hmm. at all. Um, but it came about because, I mean, it, it's kind of what people do anyways, right? Like, I think most. Most of the best products, like Jack Dorsey says this all the time, like technology should kind of use whatever human things we're used to. Mm -hmm. And like whenever we thought about how people use Pinterest, it was like scrapbooking, right? It was like collecting a bunch of recipes. It was all these things that people kind of did. It had a very mm -hmm. physical element to it. And like, how do scrapbooks look? Like, they look like collages, like, you know, um, they look like these offset things that you just kind of stick together. Um, and that's kind of what inspired it. And there were other, you know, digital things. Tumblr themes were probably doing it at the time, too. Mm -hmm. Facebook actually had a, a similar offsite grid in 2004 that no one knows about. Um, but that's how it started. It was funny. Someone was like, yeah, I don't believe you. Like, this is like really revolutionary. I'm like, wait a second, let's go around. And I went around every restaurant on my block, and it was mm -hmm. like four restaurants had the offsite grid on their wall. And it had for 40 years. It just no one decided to take that, which had already existed and you know, be, is used all the time. Like, you go you know, to a, you know, a girl's floor in a, in a college dorm, like, what does every person's door look like? It's a pinboard, right? right. Um, and it, I think we were just like the first to like take that and and and, and digitize it and make it the core feature of our site. Mm. Um, we just felt it was that important. It's 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 kind of like in any kind of uh, product space because we are very much moving from physical products to digital products, and it's like yeah. how do you take that physicalness that we're used to and just moving it into the digital yeah. space? And, totally. And and you know, kind of just to pick up on that thought, are you still kind of doing that now? Yeah, I mean, I try to. I think everything I've worked on actually has a very physical element to mm -hmm. it. Drama probably being the least, but like I worked on Turntable I built and designed their mobile app. Mm -hmm. And the reason I thought Turntable was really exciting was because of the room. It was like it was inherently like a very physical thing, right? And every, conceptually, you understand it because if you if you use bits and bytes and no one really understands what these concepts, these abstract mm -hmm. things mean, but if you say, hey, you walk into a room with other people and you listen to music, I can. I can, you know, I understand that pretty, pretty quickly. Right. Um, so I think like that works really well. And then people, when people use the product, they use it in a way that makes sense because they're like, okay, people are in a room, so if I like something, people see that. Like you would see that in, you know, Twitter. Um, same thing. Like they use words that are pretty, pretty physical. Follow is a very physical word. Subscribe is not. Right. Um, I think there's probably a very big reason they use follow versus subscribe. Um, I think things like that. Right, right. It's kind of almost like we're we're trained for one over the other yeah. a little bit, right? And and just as um, Pinterest was kind of skyrocketing, as I said, into the stratosphere, you uh, you jump ship and, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically kind of almost gave up ownership there, which yep. is a really ballsy move uh, on your part. And I kind of wanted to know why you why you left and uh, and what was kind of the decision that spurred you to leave. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I totally jumped off of a rocket ship, I guess, but I jumped off with a with a parachute. Um, I think, I mean, the, you know, the valley has a very good support structure. It, like my safety net, 
was still USC, so whatever I did, I would always, you know, I was, I was pretty confident that I would always be able to go back to that. Um, but at the end of the day, for me, it was more risky not to do what I really wanted to do, which is like I had this idea for this thing that would help people sell stuff really easily, and I wanted to go build that. And like at the end of the day, like my ultimate goal, hopefully in life, is just like to build a product that everyone uses that kind of fundamentally changes how people interact with each other. And that's hard to do. That's not easy. Like most people will never get there. Um, so I might as well optimize for that, you know? Sure, like making whatever millions of dollars in stock I would have had at Pinterest, like that's great, but like that's not my end goal. If I did that, I would have gone, you know, after four years or whatever, gone and done my own start to hopefully accomplish my real goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so why, why not just start now? Um, and, and Pinterest, you know, being on a rocket ship or whatever, putting me in a really good place to raise money to meet people that could potentially work with me on this thing. So I think it was less risky than it might look from the outside. Right, right. And in, in terms of, of Gumroad, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit as well in terms of, like, where did that idea originate? Because that was why, you know, kind of one of the things you wanted to do, that why you left Pinterest, and mm-hmm. kind of how is that kind of product different from any other kind of online or digital, you know, uh, retail space? Kind of like, almost like, kind of give us the elevator pitch, so to speak. Totally. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think selling stuff online is really difficult. Um, and we, we try not to even be a retail space. Like, mm-hmm. we think of ourselves as, like, letting people create lemonade stands on the Internet rather than storefronts, whereas, like, a lot of these other services try to create storefronts because, you know, five, ten years ago, the Internet was basically, like, these pockets of activity on, you know, on the web, and you would have to visit one of these places. You know? mm-hmm. So using the physical metaphor, you'd have to drive to this place, right? And then you'd enter a strip mall or whatever stuff, and you'd go buy stuff from Amazon or iTunes or what have you. EBay, et cetera. Um, but now with things like Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, Reddit, Pinterest, Tumblr, Facebook, like all of these things, like you would now have these like crazy, you know, like crazy amounts of roads, right? Because you can have your own connections with everyone else. You can share stuff to them, et cetera. Um, and we think there's enough in- efficiency in the, in, in, on the internet that you should be able to create lemonade stands on these mm-hmm. metaphorical roads that now exist. Um, and I th- you know, I think like, you know, let's say iTunes. iTunes launched nine years ago. They took 30%. Um, if you wanted to sell music online, it was the only way to do it. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no SoundCloud. There was no YouTube. Today, all of these things have changed except that 30%, except that experience. Like, that experience is the same. The world is totally different. To me, if, for example, Lady Gaga, if she has 30 million followers on Twitter, 40 million followers on Facebook, if she has this very personable relationship with each and every one of her fans where like she, you know every fan thinks that they're talking directly to Lady Gaga because often they are and vice versa like that's the way that she should sell she should sell directly to them through the ways that she's used to talking to them um, and from what we've seen that increases conversion that increases fan happiness um, and that increases revenue so that she can go and make the stuff that you know she, and, and do what she really wants to do which is make music right um, and it's really hard to sell stuff it's not that easy it's not you know Theoretically, it sounds awesome, but it's not that easy to do. Hmm. But that's our goal. Our goal is to take, you know, how difficult it is to sell something and make it as easy to share, to share something. It's it's almost like you're uh, trying to kind of like cut the middleman out. It's kind of totally. like kind of like what Louis C.K. kind of did, where exactly. he just kind of it's cut totally out Ticketmaster. It's taking what Louis C.K. did hmm. and applying it so that every other person on the planet should be able to do that without having to spend two hundred grand like he did on his website. Right, right. And in in terms of you've even got. Um, Musicians now, some actually popular ones like Girl Talk and stuff, using this yeah. as well. And totally. and where is kind of like the the product now, and and how do you see like now that you guys have been at it for like eight months, 
the problems that you're now solving that you may not have been solving initially when you got yeah. uh, into it. So the problems we were solving eight months ago were just like making this thing work at all, um, because doing payments online is not not super not super easy, um, as we quickly found out. Um, and now it's it's like we do that we do that pretty well. And now it's like scaling that so that it applies to way more use cases, is way more customizable, is way more flexible, but retains the simplicity that existed eight months ago when it was like a Bitly but with a credit card form, mm-hmm. right? You upload a file, you tag with a price, you have a link, you share it, done. Um, and adding all that functionality that people might want. They want to customize their page or they want to, you know, do flexible pricing or they want to do a charity model or they want to, you know, give people different things depending on what price they pay and all that stuff to have, you know, potentially some multiple things in one. Um, enabling all of that. But with the exact, like people, you know, conceptually it's the same product. That's what we're, we're struggling with and trying to figure out. Right, right. And um, in, in terms of that, you guys have also um, raised about... Uh, Eight million in yep. angel funds, and and this is your your first startup. This is your first go at it. Was that a nerve wracking yeah. process? Did you get any advisors, or did you kind of seek out some specific people? Because I'm sure everyone here would like to, to to know how to 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 make it an easier process. Yeah, um, it wasn't nerve wracking, right. uh, nor difficult, um, nor painstaking, nor time intensive. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> um, or fortunately to me, um, but no, it was it was it, and it, it was none of these things because I didn't really want to raise money. Like, it wasn't a thing that I was like, okay, I'm going to spend the next two months trying to raise a million bucks. Hmm. I was like, hey, I have this thing. Like, you might find it really intriguing. Like, I might raise money. If you're interested, let me know. It was a very, every single conversation was casual. I never brought up the fact that I was raising money ever. It was up to them to bring it up. And by the way, like, psych, you know, if you're a psych guy or whatever, um, if they, you know, if you, let's say, I, you know, I have this meeting with an investor, obviously, implicitly, I might be raising money. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the meeting. Um, and if they have to say, hey, are you raising money? Like, now they're the ones leaning forward, right? Um, so, like, they're already on the on the yes mode. Um, but really, I just, I, I never really, you know, was very aggressive about, like, reading books about how to raise money or, like, talking to people about how to raise money. I was like, hey, like, I have this product. It's always about the product. It's always about the user. I don't really give a shit about raising money unless it makes the product more awesome, right? That should be the goal. If you have anyone that you think could be interested, like, let me know. And a lot of the times they'll be like, well, I'm interested, you know, and then that's how that happens. Um, but it's great because you're not raising money until you've raised all your money because you never started raising money until you're done raising money. You know, it's like that kind of thing. But really it's like if, if, you, if, you're, if you have to raise money, it's going to be a pain in the ass. It's going to be really difficult because it's probably a bad reason that you need to raise money right now because the best, you know, VC, raising VC money is probably the worst thing to do when you need to do it. Like if you want money, get it from your customers, get a loan from a bank. Like VC money is not the best money when you're in that sort of situation. But if you're like, hey, I have this cool idea, like I want to hire five guys to go build this thing and stop working out of my living room, like then it's a pretty good option. Um, and then it's all about the potential too. Um, it's I never said like I never mentioned a single number that we had, how many users we had, how many page views we had, how much money we were processing. If anyone would ask, I would just say assume zero. Um, because I wanted people to, rate, you know, to give me money based on myself and like on the idea of the world that I had that might exist in five years because of Dumbrave, not because of our current product or our product in three months. Hmm. Um, I thought that was really important. And then you know, it's based on like the one percent chance you might be a billion dollar company, not hmm. the fifty percent chance that you might be a ten million dollar company or what have you. Mm-hmm. And, and in terms of that, where are you guys at now with like users and and, and scaling and at that point? Yeah. It's good. I mean, I, I still can't 
talk about official numbers, but we have, you know, like Girl Talk uses us mm-hmm. to sell all of their stuff, which is really cool. Um, Wiz Khalifa has used us, Ellie Golding. Um, mm-hmm. But still, the majority of our revenue comes from, like, just indie people, like random book publishers out of mm-hmm. Iowa or Idaho or, you know, musicians from Brooklyn or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. these people that just, like, haven't had an easy way to sell their stuff online, even though they might have a crazy following on SoundCloud or, or what have you. Um, that's still the majority of our volume, even though we have these celebrities or whatever on board. Um, and that's what's exciting, you know. Mm-hmm. Helping celebrities make more money is awesome, but for me, it's, it's way more about helping people that haven't been able, you know, they might have a nine-to-five job, even though they might want to create music because they can't physically make money off of, of music. So they have, you know, they work at a bank. That sucks. Um, <laughs> it sucks for them. I mean, some people like working at banks. That's fine. But it sucks if you don't want to. If that's your yeah. second choice, like, we should, Understandable. You know, we should change that. Um, yeah, it's pretty good. Sweet. And, 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 and in terms of, uh, of that, you yourself, we're kind of eating your own dog food with Gumroad because you're yeah. writing a book about how you're making Gumroad, <laughs> yeah, and you're using yeah, Gumroad totally. to to kind of yeah. turn out what why why do that and, and why why yeah. capture it through that. I mean, avenue. it's like I said before, like I only want to build stuff that I can use myself, um, and using your your stuff means that you have this feedback loop that you can you know you figure out how crappy your product is because no, normally you don't you know if you're if you're building something for someone else you're gonna have to wait for them to tell you what's wrong with your product mm-hmm. and they're not gonna do it properly ever. Um, but if you're using it yourself, like, you know, the first time I tried to sell something using Gumroad or, or the second time after I launched, I was like, this is, it's really hard. Like, it's really confusing. And I built this thing. Um, so like, imagine all the other people, and it was great that people were using us, but like, imagine how many more people would use us if we made it more clear, simpler, faster, more elegant, et cetera. Um, so I think it's really, really important to you. So that's why I started. And then I just thought it, would, it was cool that I, you know, I was all about if you have cool stuff if you create cool content like you should be able to monetize it Um, and I thought that you know building Gumroad was pretty interesting and writing a book about it would be cool Um, so I decided to do that I started writing a chapter a month and I realized running a startup and writing a chapter a month is actually pretty difficult so I've slowed (laughs) that down but I still want to do it like I every so often I will like randomly like decide to write something and try selling it or doing zero plus or something and see see how it does also just an experiment it's almost as if you're your best user test in this case. You yeah. Kind of just figure out, oh, this this this, this sucks. I can't yeah, do what I wanted to do. It's really important. Like it's funny. A lot of the times, like we'll be at interviewing an engineer, and they're like, so like, what are you guys working on the product? And like my default is like, our product is entirely shitty. Like every part of it sucks, and we need to make it better. Which is how I think about our product. It's how I think about every product I ever work on, because I think you need to to make it better. But it also like turns off a lot of engineers. Like, wait, your product sucks. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's good, but like. My mindset is is that it sucks because because it could always be better. And like, if you think it's good, like you're less incentivized to make it great. Whereas right. if it sucks, like, right, you're just hitting the sucks. middle of the road. You're not yeah. setting your your bar higher and higher exactly. in terms of that. Gotcha. Very and good. Self-deprecating, which is my favorite right. type of humor. <laughs> I think it is everyone's type. Yeah, totally. right. yeah. yeah, and it's our favorite here. Um, I want to open it up. Thank you uh, for answering my question, but I really want to open up the audience because there's a lot of you here, and I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to at least ask a question. So we'll start off. Peter? Um, just a question about how you position Gumroad, you know, about you know, sharing and selling stuff. So, I mean, eBay, Etsy, other marketplaces for yeah. selling things. How, how would you, you know, help us differentiate or understand, you know, what you do that's different, better, you know, cooler? Whatever. Yeah, so the question was, how would I differentiate from current marketplaces like eBay, Etsy, etc.? Um, 
I mean, I try to say we're not even a marketplace. Like for us, our ideal goal is to turn your Twitter feed into a marketplace or, you know, SoundCloud into a marketplace or a writing forum into a marketplace. Like there's ways on the internet that people already connect with each other. And I think it's, you know, marketplaces exist when there's not enough e- efficiency there and then people that need, a, you know, a separate place to just sell and transact. And ideally, like you have enough efficiency and you're just missing the transactional piece and maybe the security piece and context piece, which we also provide. Um, that we can, you know, we do a good job. Like Lady Gaga might not need to use, you know, iTunes if all of her followers connect with her on all of these social platforms. That has yet to be proven, but that's that's the vision. Is like, why do you even need to sell your book on Amazon if everyone that's ever going to read your book or cares about it is following you on Twitter or following someone that follows you on Twitter? And like, Twitter does has, you know, does a pretty good job of, of distributing that stuff for you. So you need more of a commerce enabled sharing, something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. totally. Yes. What, uh, what, uh, what recommendations do you have for, in, in terms of all the different kinds of virtual goods that exist today? Mm. Um, what have you seen in terms of trends for uh, currently what are the most um, sold virtual goods? And then what's your vision for, in the future, what kinds of virtual goods do you think people will start um, creating yeah. or selling? Totally. Um, so what virtual goods are pretty popular and which will be? Um, so right now on Gumroad specifically, um, books are super popular, ebooks, etc. A lot of how-to guides. Um, music is really popular, um, and then the the one that really is like random to me, and now thinking about it, makes total sense is comics. Comics just blew up on Gumroad. Um, you ask most people that make comics, um, <laughs> like they all know what Gumroad is because they've used it or one of their friends has, um, and it makes sense because comics have been serialized, you know before TV shows were serialized, you know, and people understand that kind of consum- consumption of content, so that makes sense. Um, and people have these rabid follower bases, right? You're, if you read comics, you read comics. Like, it's a thing that you do. It's not like, oh, I watch TV shows, whatever. Um, it's a pretty core. Yeah, it's a pretty core. Right? It's a pretty core element. Core <laughs> uh, improvement. Um, but, I, you know, so in, in the future, I think, I, I was talking with a friend, actually, and he, he was really excited about Gumroad because he thinks that the way people are going to, sell physical things are going to change. He's a big believer in 3D printing, and he thinks that in 50 years, maybe, every town's going to have their own 3D printer, and instead of buying a cup on Amazon and then they ship it to you, which means, like, you know, the two biggest costs of, of selling physical things are inventory and shipping, right? Having the thing there and then shipping it. With 3D printing, what if you bought the digital receipt for this cup and they sent that to you, which is free to send, basically, right? It's like sending an email. And then you manufacture the thing right next to you. You remove inventory because it's all on demand, and you remove shipping, or at least make it extremely cheap. Um, so that's pretty exciting. I have no idea about that space or anything like that, but it seems really cool. And if we could help that happen, that'd be that'd be amazing. There is one question. Right? I have a question about um, your design and configuration of Pinterest. Uh, were you guys doing a lot of the same Yeah, uh, lean startup iteration, et cetera, at Pinterest. Um, a lot of it was was done before I got there. Um, we were actually never big believers in lean startup methodology or whatever. I, th- I think some of it is great. I think most of it is obvious. Like, you should iterate. Yes, you should talk to users. Yes, like things like that make a lot of sense. It would be stupid if you didn't do that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think like we wanted to build this product because we had a very good sense of what people wanted. And ideally, we were users of the product ourselves so like we knew what we wanted in our own product 
so we actually didn't do a lot of user testing and things like that. Um, we did do stuff where like people would write a support email. I was like, hey, well, how do I delete a pin? And we're like, oh shit, we should probably make that more obvious. Um, <laughs> but that's like a different type. Like that's like react, you know, reactive rather than proactive. Um, but that's the best because if you're proactive, like people like always have these ideas of what they want, but like they never actually tell you. You know, like the faster horse kind of thing. If you told, asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, not a car. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like that. But when you launch something, they're like, hey, this is broken. Like, it's good for that. It's good for fixing stuff. But it's not good for, like, inventing new stuff. Um, and so there was not a lot of iteration. There was, like, it was, we, we thought a lot about how do, how do we design a, a specific screen? What, why do people go to this screen? What information should we expose? Like, why do people care about this? Um, things like that. One, one test that I used personally was, like, will people be pissed off if we killed a certain feature? Because a lot of the times, you get attached to something because it looks beautiful. But really, no one actually cares. And if you killed it, no one would notice tomorrow. But if there's a feature where like, you removed it, like you would get a million emails the next day being like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> those, are the, those are the features you should probably stick around. But people don't really think about it like that. Yeah. Yes? A lot of people have started using Gumroad for physical products. Um, They've kind of hacked it. We have this one feature where we can let you collect shipping information on top of like the email and things like that. Um, so people use that and then handle fulfillment themselves um, and delivery and shipping. But we don't do a good job at all. We're focused entirely on digital just because like there's so many problems yet to be solved with that. And then once we solve most of them, we can be like, okay, how do we take this and apply it to selling a T-shirt, for example? Because 99% of the code base, the look, the feel, et cetera, is going to be the same. Um, so that's how we think about it. And we've started talking to some fulfillment partners, et cetera, but we haven't gone, gone very far. There was a question way in the back. Do you have a strong social media presence to use Yeah, right now you do. Uh, do you need to have a social media presence to use Gumroad? Yeah, I mean, we've definitely gotten a lot of feedback from people being like, hey, like I don't have a following. How do I sell shit using Gumroad? And I think most people will, say, will try to figure out an answer. I just say there's no way. Gumroad's not the fit for you. Because <laughs> seriously, I mean, it's not. Like, it's right. it's kind of like if if you're a musician, like you're not going to sell your stuff on iTunes, right? right. Like, why would what, like Apple's not going to be like, well, you could like maybe like spend a weekend like making a song with a friend and sell that. No, <laughs> like it's not a fit. Like, don't try to force it. Um, and it, and it, I think that leaves your product because you try to build it for all these use cases that don't work. You might have a marketplace that's kind of shitty, but if it's not, if you, you don't really try, if it's ninety percent there, it's zero percent there. It's pretty binary. Mm -hmm. um, so we, it doesn't work for that at all. Um, we think that the web is going to get better at surfacing those people. Like, if inevitably, in my idealistic vision of the world, like if you create cool stuff that people care about, you will get found in some way. Like, you might have four followers on Twitter, and then someone cool sees it and then retweets it, and now you have forty thousand or something like that. Um, but we'll see. Next question is over here. There is so. another question. Yes. The overall concept hasn't changed of the, of the Pinterest grid uh, before and since I got there. Um, it used to be square. Um, and then that didn't really work out. Um, and then we, you know, it was offset. Um, and then we mess around constantly with like changing the look of it. But the, the what, I mean, once you figure out, like, basically the only innovation in the look is like things don't have to be 
the same. Like they don't have to be squares. They don't all have to end at the same thing. That was it. With that um, yeah, I mean it's like it's like reality, right? Like you, if you open up, like I said before, like a, you know, on the wall of a restaurant that you go to, or like you know, a dorm room uh, door, like people don't like have, a, or when scrapbooking, right? You don't make everything perfectly square. Um, so once we figured that out, it was it was pretty clear what we what we, what we built after that. And now it's everywhere because of things like the masonry plug-in and things like that. It's a lot easier to do that today than it was three years ago. Masonry, it's this thing that makes it really easy to do that kind of offset grid look. This is what we call it internally. Okay. So your hand up. <laughs> um, so I was wondering, like, do you ever have uh, uh, challenges with identifying digital rights with the digital goods that people sell? Like, for example, if somebody tries to sell a song that um, Lady Gaga wrote or something, right, and they don't have the rights to sell that, right? Um, so my, so two questions. One, do you have challenges around that? And my second question is, how do you manage and how do you identify it? Yeah, um, we actually don't have as many challenges as you might think because because we, you know, you need a following to sell something. Like, who would you sell it to? You're not really going to sell it to anybody that, you know, anyone you sell it to is going to know you're not Lady Gaga, right? Because it's your Twitter account, it's your Facebook account, whatever. And it's very socially unacceptable to sell stuff that you don't own. It's very, it's totally socially acceptable for you to give me Lady Gaga song for free, but the minute you charge for it, it's blasphemy. Yeah. So, in that context, <laughs> in that context, it never happens. Like, okay. literally, we sold you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of things. Zero times has that happened, um, which is great. Um, and and then technically, like, but but people still care. Our biggest challenge is people caring rather than people actually doing it. People right. just like. Especially big corporations are like, well, how do you handle DRM? How do you handle like, you know, I'm Sony. How do you handle like someone selling Lady Gaga's thing? And we're like, we don't. And they're like, they freak out. And you're like, no one's going to actually do that. Um, and now, you know, Sony uses us. Universal uses us. All these people have now kind of gone over. iTunes has done a good job. iTunes, all the stuff you buy on iTunes is DRM free now. So they've kind of paved the way for that pretty well. But I think it's a problem. Like we, you know, our goal is to make stuff easy to buy, not hard to steal. Um, and that's the future of, of the internet. And like, if you don't like that, like, stop using the internet. <laughs> if I have an account on Gumroad, I don't know if this is how it works today, so they stay here, but if I have an account on Gumroad and I get on Lady Gaga's Facebook page and she posts a song, mm -hmm. can I download the song right there on Facebook and not have to go through anything else? Almost. Unfortunately, Facebook has you know restrictions on that, so you click through. And then you have this like very simple landing page, which looks almost like a Tumblr post or something. And then you can transact within like 30 seconds. So it still requires a click through out. We're trying to work on making it in stream 100%, but that will, that will require Facebook's blessing. It is hard to get. Um, we'll see. It's like you have to go to the mountain and, and, and ask for it, right? And come back. <coughs> yeah, totally. Anyone else with a question? Yes. No. And like in the future, if somebody uh, kind of copies how uh, Gumroad has the social uh, e-commerce system, and you know, when you go to buy it, it pops out <coughs> that light box. 
Yeah. Pay for it. Would you think that's copying it or just kind of just uh, inspiring other yeah, I think, I mean, I don't think it's copying at all, no. I mean, I use that because everyone else says it. I was never pissed off that people copied any of the things that I built. Um, I was more flattered than anything else. Um, sometimes it's annoying if people, like, fundamentally copy everything, you know, like, like, yeah, like, clones, like clones, clones are very different, right? Like Pinspire, for example. Um, or sex.com. Don't go there. Um, <laughs> but it's you know go there. It's really funny. Um, but that's that's different. But yeah, I mean if you I mean if you copied like an idea, like you can't. That, that's I would, no, I don't care. I think it's great. Anyone else with a question? Yes. Was uh, Gumroad the name you wanted, or was it? I actually bought the domain a year and a half before I built Gumroad. And it was just a domain that I had in GoDaddy. And I wanted to launch this thing really badly. And I didn't want to wait to find a name. So I used it. And it fit pretty well. And I, How did you come up with it? My mom did, actually. Um, I wanted a name for some, like, I wanted a vague name so I could use it for some random thing. And it worked out. Um, <laughs> but I wanted a name that I could, you know, that was generic enough. And that kind of implied, like, fun with gum and, and like, some sort of connection and, like, movement road. Um, we were looking at things like Gumpath. That was taken, so we went with Gumroad and then turned into this. We have about one more. We have time for about one more question. Someone with some really good pressing question in the corner over there. What kind of technology are you using right now? Generally speaking, how are you feeling? Yeah, um, so our, our stuff is built on Ruby, Rails. Um, MySQL is our primary data store. Um, we use things like Redis, we use Mongo, we use Memcache, we use all that sort of standard stuff nowadays. It's all on AWS. We use S3 for storing files. Um, what else? What other services do we use? GitHub um, for version control. <coughs> we don't use any, we jQuery for JS. Um, but nothing, nothing too fancy. Um, and it scales well. I mean, if things like break, like if things don't break over time, like that means you over over optimized in the beginning. So I'm sure things will break. Things have broken, um, um, but we'll hope, you know hopefully get to them as it It's a little different with us because a lot of the times we'll get like a massive spike in traffic. Like when Wiz Khalifa tweeted about us, we got like a, this absurd spike, and it was not like any spike ever. It's not like you know just like if you're on TV, then it's kind of like this, right? I've seen that, but it was like a tweet from this like celebrity. It's like literally. T t like, you can't really plan for that. Um, or you can if you think, but you, you don't think about how to plan for that until it happens. Um, but now we've gotten better with that. So there are problems like that we, that we try to solve. We use, like, Nginx, for example, is an you know, amazing web server for, like, dealing with a shitload of requests. Ruby as an app is not. So what do you do? Well, you, you tell Nginx to deal with all, the, all as many as it can, and then any ones that need to be dynamic, for example, the purchase goes through, you send to the Ruby app, et cetera. So you use page caching or something like that, um, which we do. Um, so there's there's things like that, but you just learn them as you go. Um, I hope you don't go down too much. Okay, the last question right over there. Um, question about uh, yeah, user traction. Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, we've done a bunch of like you know press around you know funding leads to that automatically kind of. Um, so we have that 
that's kind of our was our initial stuff. Um, then we do a lot of manual, just reach out to labels, agencies, talent guys, um, um, and, and managers, agents, etc. Um, directly. So that's how they, you know, that's how we got ways for example, to use us, etc. Um, but in terms of like actual scale, I think that needs to be word of mouth. That needs to be some sort of thing that's just inherent in your product. Otherwise, it's really hard to grow. Um, Pinterest, we didn't have share buttons on our site until we were hitting ridiculous numbers because we wanted it to. You know, one part part was part of it was laziness, but two was because like if it, you know adding share buttons to your site is not going to make it explode. Like your your site has something that's really interesting about it that causes it to do really well, and then share buttons might might amplify that to some expect you know some extent, but it's not going to make your site succeed or fail. Um, it's kind of like I have a friend who works on this thing called Supply, which is a blog network, and he refuses to put tweet buttons on it because he thinks good blog posts should spread automatically. Like if 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 a blog post is not good enough for you to manually copy paste and tweet about, it's not that good, um, or it doesn't deserve to be tweeted, and you're not going to like just because it's one button away now, you're not going to do it. Um, that's his belief. Um, so yeah, it's just built into our product. If you want to sell something, you need a following. You, you tweet it out to your 20,000 followers. Now 20,000 people might know what it is. Hopefully some portion of them might be like, oh, this is really cool. Like I could use this to sell something. Or like I'm going to buy it and then tweet about the fact that I bought this. Um, that's why I spend a lot of time on our flows, just making sure that people understand what we do really quickly because I think that's pretty critical in our success. But that works. Like We have yet to do any sort of like paid marketing or something like that. And we have, you know, millions of pages. Sweet. Very good. Well, we're just about out of time. Please, everyone, give a thank, big thank you to Sahil for coming down and joining us for Zerb Soapbox. Um, just to let you guys know, we have Joe Jevia from Airbnb next Friday. So come on back, same time, same bat channel, so to speak. So, Zerb channel. All right, have a good one. Thank you, everyone.